0: In case you missed it, there has been a really significant development in the world of artificial intelligence. No, not another version of ChatGPT.
1: More than 1,300 tech industry leaders, researchers and others are now asking for a pause in the development of artificial intelligence to consider the risks.
0: There was a warning last week from many in the scientific and academic community on the rise of powerful AI systems that may become as intelligent as humans, or maybe even more. The Future of Life Institute, a nonprofit that works on highlighting risks from advanced AI, put out an open letter calling for all AI labs to pause on the training of powerful systems for six months. The letter was signed by thousands of members of the tech and the scientific world, including Apple co-founder Steve Wozniak, SpaceX and Tesla CEO Elon Musk, and Turing Prize winner Joshua Benjio, among many others. Here's Max Tegmark, president of the Future of Life
1: Institute. Right now, we're basically facing this runaway freight train, uh, careening out of control. And the first thing we need to do is stop it a little bit to give society a chance to catch up.
0: But there was also criticism of the letter and its seemingly alarmist wording. Surya Matu lead of the Digital Witness Lab at Princeton University, believes that the letter misses the main issue.
2: If this letter was truly concerned about the risks AI poses, I would have expected it to raise things like transparency, making publicly accessible the training data that was used to build these models, making these models publicly available for auditing and stress testing from other groups of interested researchers.
0: The world of tech and AI is divided on the risks of training powerful AI systems to bring in human like intelligence. And in this episode, we will explore both sides of the argument.
1: No shock advised.
0: It's Thursday, the 6th of April. I'm Mugdha Varier from ET Prime, and you're listening to the Morning Brief. Before we get into the issue, let's try and understand why AI has become such a hot-button topic now. AI has been in our lives for quite some time now and in areas we may not even be consciously aware of. Be it Siri, Alexa or even the facial recognition scanners at airports, there is AI everywhere. In fact, when you shop on Amazon, it recommends what you would like to buy. That's also a form of AI. So why the alarm bells now? That's because what is happening now is on the lines of general AI or AGI. In simpler terms, the tech world often refers to this as the strong AI. This differs from the weak AI or narrow AI which focuses on performing one specific task. On the other hand, strong AI can perform a range of functions and can eventually even teach itself to solve for new problems. And the players in AGI intend to train their AI systems, also called transformers, on a whole range of data sets and make it achieve human-like intelligence. Or maybe, even better. And that is where the fear seeps in. Last month, Microsoft-backed OpenAI launched the fourth iteration of the GPT, or the Generative Pre-trained Transformer. Remember ChatGPT? The cool new thing everyone was talking about late last year which would provide some really insightful responses to the most mundane questions, often with a dose of humor and sarcasm. We had also done an episode on the morning brief on why ChatGPT, which is also called GPT 3.5, was an important milestone. Then last month, OpenAI released a more advanced version, GPT-4, which was better trained to respond to questions, understand images instead of just text, and even score better on some tough exams. And that spurred a lot of tech leaders and scientists into collectively calling for a ban on training of all AI systems more powerful than GPT-4. Even in India, tech leaders such as Zoho founder Sridhar Vembu and former Niti Ayog vice chairman Rajiv Kumar have come together to put out a letter in which they said that the emergence of powerful AI could be the harbinger of chaotic and even potentially catastrophic consequences for humanity. So what's really concerning the tech world? I talked to Max Tegmark, Professor of Physics at MIT and the President of the Future of Life Institute. Max, thank you so much for joining us to discuss this very hot issue. My first question to you, Max, is what prompted you and all the people who have signed this letter to actually put this out at this point in time?
1: The reason that we put the letter out now is because the pace of artificial intelligence progress has gotten so incredibly fast recently. You know, 10 years ago, most people thought that this original goal of AI, you know, to outsmart humans at everything was going to take maybe another 30, 40, 50 years. And now, there's a a lot of indications that it's basically happening. Unfortunately, society's response to this in terms of policy and regulation and, and AI safety research has not accelerated at all the way that the technological process has. And that's why so many of the people building AI feel that we really need to pause some of the most dangerous AI to give society a chance to catch up and make sure we do this safely not recklessly
0: but max is there really a pause button on ai how will that work
1: well, first of all a lot of people assume it's impossible to ever pause any technology that but that's just not true you could make a ton of money on human cloning create some super race or whatever you know why are we not doing it because biologists thought really hard about that and decided it really wasn't worth the risk to do something that would be so hard to control. And we're just saying, let's do the same thing with uh, the riskiest AI systems. Make sure that uh, before they get rolled out, you have clearly established safety standards that they have to meet. And the reason that this is so scary is because, you know, we are very rapidly now in the process of building ever more powerful digital minds that we really don't understand and can't control and uh, the prospects of having to share our planet with entities that are more intelligent than us that we can't control is uh <laughs> not a very pleasant prospect you know just ask the neanderthals how it went when they had to share the planet with a smarter species homo sapiens <laughs> and i i don't know if you've seen the movie don't look up, have you?
0: Yeah, I have, I have.
1: For those who have, this is exactly what we're living right now. There is this asteroid about to hit Earth, except this one is one of our own making, where these soon smarter than human AIs, and uh, most people are in complete denial. And some people are even claiming the asteroid (laughs) doesn't exist and that we shouldn't talk about it.
0: Can you just elaborate on that a little bit more? What really are the threats? Because some people are saying the letter was too alarmist, had a very apocalyptic kind of a viewpoint, uh, whereas the threats may not be as significant, at least at this stage. What are your concerns?
1: I think the letter actually downplayed the risks compared to what they really are. We did this deliberately <laughs> to not scare people off from signing it. If you um, have artificial intelligence that can outcompete to all people on the job market and outsmart people. It's pretty obvious that whatever tech company gets that first is going to become the biggest monopoly history has ever known. It's impossible for other companies to compete with this tech company if uh, they have to compete with billions and billions of uh, digital employees who don't need any other salary than a little bit of electricity, right? And they will soon become so dominant that it uh, becomes easy for them to outmarket and outpersuade and take the facto control of, of our society.
0: You know, you spoke about a monopoly. Is there concern about the player that is a talk of the town, which is OpenAI? And the letter comes soon after they launched GPT-4. Is it a reaction to OpenAI's? uh you know very speedy training of the their transformers has that really sparked a concern?
1: Yes. I don't want to call out any particular company and the letter doesn't either. There are a number of companies that are really racing ahead full steam with this and OpenAI is is one of them. I talk a lot with people in these companies, including Top Leadership, and people building this generally are very idealistic. They went into AI because they want to cure cancer and do all sorts of things that can help humanity flourish. And they are scared, many of these people building it. But no company can pause alone because they would just have their lunch eaten by the competition. So the vision of this letter is to really provide enough outside pressure so that all the companies can pause at the same time, so that they can reap the benefits of this technology and society can have a little bit of, of chance to adapt. Just continuing the way we're continuing now, where companies have this crazy commercial pressure from their shareholders to uh, release things as fast as possible, even if they didn't have time to make it fully safe, just to not get scooped, you know, this is not going to end well.
0: Max, there are also some scientists who have kind of criticized the letter, stating that the concerns are not real. And in fact, they say that the letter misses out on addressing the real issues, which they say is inherent bias in AI and loss of jobs because of AI. What is your response to the criticism that has been coming in from the scientific community to the letter?
1: Please do not take my own word for it. This le- the first signatory of this letter is Professor Joshua Bengio for example, who is one of the godfathers of of deep learning, the technology that's powering GPT-4. And look at this recent paper from Microsoft says that this is all, we're already at the point of having glimmers of artificial intelligence, general artificial intelligence, sparkles of it. You know, artificial general intelligence is more than just AI. Artificial general intelligence is the holy grail of the field from the get-go. This idea of really reaching human level ability across the board. The company you know, doing this is saying this is happening. Listen to Sam Altman. Look at what he's been writing recently. He was asked recently about what's the worst case outcome? And he said the worst case outcome is lights out for everybody. The bad case, and I think this is like important to say, is like lights out for all of us. Um, I'm more worried about like an accidental misuse case in the short term it's not like the ai wakes up and decides to be evil but i can see the accidental misuse case clearly it's like impossible to overstate the importance of ai safety and alignment work i would like to see much much more happening and none of the sort of soundbite easy answers work i find it quite bizarre when uh, other people try to downplay the risks that the very leaders of the company doing this are themselves acknowledging.
0: People are, you know, drawing links between the fact that Elon Musk has funded Future of Life and he had had a fallout with OpenAI and this could be a way to stall the progress. So could you just clear that for us?
1: With pleasure. Elon Musk had nothing to do with the initiative to create this letter, with the drafting of this letter, with the organizing of the letter, or anything like that. It was led by scientists, AI researchers like myself and others. After it was written, I asked Elon Musk if he wanted to sign it, and he said yes. That was the entirety of his involvement.
0: But Max, uh, what will a six-month pause, even if it is actually implemented, what will it achieve? What happens after those six months?
1: you got to start somewhere. Right now, we have, we're basically facing this runaway freight train <laughs> careening out of control. And the first thing we need to do is stop it a little bit to give society a chance to catch up with regulation and, and establish clear safety standards and so on. And uh, rather than uh, quibbling about whether the pause should be longer or not, I think, let's start by the, doing the pause and go from there. I think there are some very quick wins that can happen in very short order. Because as I said, you know, when you talk privately to, to key keep, to keep people from these companies, they are often much more scared than the general public of this and quite interested in the idea of, of coordinating with a competition and with policymakers to really make this safe. So that's the first thing that should happen during this pause you know, establish clear safety guidelines that future AI releases have to satisfied. For example, you can't just go build a new nuclear reactor on Connaught Place in, in New Delhi, right? Without meeting established safety requirements. In this bizarre situation with artificial intelligence, that there's almost no meaningful regulation at all. Not because it doesn't make sense to have it, not because policymakers don't want it, but just because policymakers haven't don't usually act as fast as the tech has progressed and they've fallen behind. So Let's give society a little bit of time to uh, put safety standards in place.
0: So you're essentially also calling for intervention from governments itself then, right? Uh, And we are seeing governments also become more proactive in terms of addressing and trying to regulate AI. We've seen the EU look to bring out an AI Act. Even the UK has put out a white paper on how they should regulate AI. So... Do you see governments becoming more proactive and how do you see it playing out?
1: That's exactly right. That's what's beginning to happen. Um, European Union is, is in the vanguard. They're the ones who have gotten the, the farthest with this. But I think there's a lot of appetite now from politicians among the world to, to catch up on this. And the good news I have for any policymakers in India listening to this is that you'll find a lot of people in the AI industry, in the tech industry, who are very eager to help the government.
0: We heard Max talk about the concerns he and several others share on the rise of powerful AI systems. But like I had pointed out earlier, there has been some criticism of the letter, especially on its tone. Surya Mattu, who leads the Digital Witness Lab at Princeton University, where they study how technology systems are affecting society, says that the letter sounds alarmist. I think
2: alarmist is a good word for what... What it is, I mean, if you think about what they're saying, right, so like, the way they're framing this letter is, we are building this thing that is so powerful, it can cause all these harms, but we must build it, right? So the alarmist for me is like, why must you build it? If you think it's so dangerous, why do you have to start from that? Secondly, the way they talk about the challenges around these technologies, they're aggrandizing the problem when a lot of the things that they're kind of speculating could happen in reality. But it's again coming from this tone of self-aggrandizing the power of AI. There's certainly a lot of risks and there'll be a lot more risks when with any new technology, when you introduce any new technology into a societal ecosystem, it will solve some problems and create new ones. That's just the nature of technology. And the same is true for AI.
0: So Surya, what do you think are the threats that are real right now?
2: The biggest threat that is real, in my opinion, is not the malicious use of AI, but the uh, careless use of AI. So the difference being that in one model there's this sense of bad actor trains AI to you know take over the world or something, whereas the reality is the risk comes from a medical student using GPT to pass an entrance exam, and ChatGPT is not giving it accurate information. It sounds plausible because you know. The whole premise of Chat GPT isn't to be accurate, but to make plausible sentences. Those are different things, right? There's accuracy and there's plausibility. GPT-4 has gotten better at that. But fundamentally, the way this technology is created, it's not designed to be accurate. It's designed to sound like a human and give you a good answer. I see people who are experts in the field think there's a lot of hype in this letter. I think people who are not experts in this field, but are experts in other fields, do see the harms and can kind of extrapolate from them. But but fundamentally, it's like there's a political play here. I don't know exactly what it is, but if this letter was truly concerned about the risks AI poses, I would have expected it to raise things like transparency, making publicly accessible the training data that was used to build these models, making these Models publicly available for auditing and stress testing from other groups of interested researchers. There's very so practical things that could be done uh, to, to build the kind of safety mechanisms these guys are talking about. Also, I've spent I've a long time um, working in the space of the, like, you know, interrogating the surveillance economy, the issues of privacy and big data and all of these things. And if they think they can solve a regulatory problem with AI in six months, It's it's just not possible.
0: Several critics of the letter have pointed out that the real threats from AI is actually the bias, be it racial, be it gender bias or bias on any other grounds. So Surya, can you tell us how prevalent bias is in AI?
2: The thing with bias is bias is a feature, not a bug of technical systems. The way I like to approach that question is what values do you want your system to have encoded within them? The biases we so far have encoded are historical biases that are coming up from historical data. Going forward, we can introduce a different set of biases. Biases that are biased towards equality, let's say, or biased towards transparency or explainability. So I think what it really comes down to is whose biases are getting encoded in these systems and are we in agreement upon them? It goes back to that AI ethics and safety problem. It's like, The training data will encode the inequality of the world we live in. This is something I've seen play out in a variety of fields, be it social media recommendation algorithms, be it risk assessment tools using criminal justice and predictive policing systems. The bias comes from the fact that the people who are building this technology don't actually know how it's going to be used in the real world. So you need independent auditing systems and you need communities who are going to be affected by these systems to say, okay, This tool is going to come up in my life in this way. How is that going to affect me? Here's what my life experience is and I'm going to test against that. What are the harms that are caused? That is what we need to actually see how these harms are happening. And you can only get to those harms if you have transparency about what these systems are actually doing.
0: You know, the letter also calls for government intervention if all the players cannot collectively press the pause button. So Surya, what do you think about regulations and the role that the government can play here?
2: The most powerful role government can play in the role of AI is forcing disclosure of the use of AI. Rather than like a moratorium, is really the most like practical thing that they can actually do. The idea that they can like kind of put a moratorium on it is again very naive. And anyone who's paid any attention to how technology has evolved over the last 30 years knows that that's a lie. So people who are asking for that are either being naive or they're being malicious. I think like the really good example of Promising legislation for so this is the Digital Services Act that's being enacted by the EU. There are some sections of the law that uh, that require companies to disclose how the algorithmic systems work and you know they provide very specific clauses on what kinds of disclosures are needed. So something like the DSA actually empowers different communities journalists, researchers uh, activists to ask and interrogate those AI systems in a way that we can ask questions about these impacts.
0: While several governments are getting proactive on looking to regulate AI, India is still behind with not even a basic data protection law in place. And given that 800 million Indians use the internet, we are a huge data set for any AI company to potentially exploit. Just last week, Italy ordered a ban on ChatGPT over alleged privacy violations and for processing the data of Italian users without respecting the EU's GDPR rules. So Surya, what does India really need to do now?
2: Yeah, it's a really good and hard question to answer because I think in India, as we're already seeing, like you said, with the data protection and privacy laws, it's it's a very different ecosystem to, say, the EU, the US or even Brazil where um, a different set of politics are at play than than in those places. And I think the laws that regulate AI here will have to kind of take that into account. You need transparency, you need, you know, expert. And this is something that India actually has a lot of. It's, I find, very promising. There are lots of experts on the ground who understand this technology well. So just having more advocacy and more, uh, more disclosure from the journalists, the researchers, from all of them of how these things are actually being used in the real world is, I think, a good place to start. So I think we need more of that at this stage.
0: Max also thinks India should urgently push for regulation.
1: I think it's also really in the national interest of India to uh, push for this because India is exact is one of the countries that is most likely to get screwed by a, a lack of uh, international regulation. India has everything to gain from a little bit of a pause to level the playing field. So that all the companies doing this on Earth are doing it safely.
0: As Max and Surya pointed out, India needs to wake up and take note of the potential of AI. As I had mentioned earlier, some Indian tech leaders such as Zoho, Sridhar Vembu and former Niti Ayog Vice Chairman Rajiv Kumar have issued a warning letter as well and they've called for India to draw up a blueprint on AI development. While some government officials have occasionally spoken about AI policies, it's still to be put into effect. Now, as these global tech leaders issue these warnings, should you and I be concerned about how powerful AI is becoming? The best minds of a time believe so. Listen to Stephen Hawking, who had spoken about the threats several years ago.
1: The primitive forms of artificial intelligence we already have have proved very useful. But I think the development of full artificial
0: intelligence could spell the end of the human race. Once
1: humans develop artificial intelligence, it would take off on its own and redesign itself at an ever-increasing rate. Humans, who are limited by slow biological evolution, couldn't compete and would be superseded.
0: That sounds grim. For now, the question many scientists are facing is, can the genie be put back in the bottle? That's all in this episode. I'm Mugdhawar and thank you for listening to The Morning Brief. This episode was produced by Vinay Joshi, sound engineer Indranil Bhattacharji and executive producers Anupriya Nayar, Arijit Barman and Anirban Chaudhary. We hope you like this episode. And do share it on your social media networks. Do remember to tune into a new episode of the Morning Brief podcast every Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday. It streams on Amazon Prime Music, GeoSavan, Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts. And of course, on ET's own audio platform, ET Play. All clips used in this episode belong to the respective owners, and credits are mentioned in the description.